Welcome back to the Rab Mountain People podcast with me, your host, Andy Cave. Here's a taste of what's coming up. I think a conversation with people when you're outside or when you're walking with somebody, when you're when you're in a, in a very supportive, natural environment, is so much more powerful than just sat across a table or, or locked up in a room. Somehow there's a different experience for yourself as well as that conversation with the other person. So I wanted to create an atmosphere where being outside a lot and with others and being able to have those different inspirations and you know you can have the pauses you can look out at a beautiful view together you don't have to talk all the time and the pauses aren't as uh, they're more acceptable somehow when you're in a, in a nice place together this episode is an inspiring insightful conversation with karen dark since a life-changing climbing accident as a young woman that left her paralyzed from the waist down karen has gone on to live a life full of extreme adventure traversing greenland on skis climbing El Capitan, countless sea kayaking journeys, and Himalayan hand biking. Karen's mantra is that ability is a state of mind. She is constantly studying and questioning, remaining curious and creative, inspiring others and challenging the status quo through her books and talks. She's passionate about sharing her life lessons via courses she runs to help others who have suffered trauma and loss. I wanted to ask Karen about disability rights and inclusivity and to what extent these have improved or not over the years. I wanted to ask her about her experience of competing at two Olympic Games and what led her to hold hands with fellow athlete Rachel Morris as they decided to cross the finish line together. Karen also gives tremendous insight into how she has learned to cope with acute and chronic stress and what strategies she passes on to others stuck in such situations. Karen is truly one of a kind, and her openness and uplifting energy is just wonderful. Thanks for joining us. So what's your, been your most recent adventure? I was just looking on your channels. You did a, a trip. You've been in sort of Spain, Portugal. Is that where you've just been for your personal adventure? Yeah, just a few weeks ago, I got back from three weeks cycling across Portugal from the south to Santiago de Compostela. So following um, the Camino de Santiago, pretty much from the south of Portugal all the way to the, the Santiago, de Comp- Santiago de Compostela in Spain. So a good, good, good journey, about a thousand kilometers, uh, but made much harder by trying to follow the Camino because uh, it, it basically wiggles up and down the hillsides up very steep hills and cobbles and mud on either side of a very good road. So <laughs> Right. So what, I mean, it's, is, does it get cycled a lot or is it more like a walker's path? What, what, what? Yeah, it's more like a walker's path. We did meet a few cyclists, but to be honest, it's the, the, the main, when you follow the arrows and the, the actual guided route, it's more like a walker's path, really. Right. So what, presumably, I mean, have you got off-road tires on and all that kind of stuff, like as you would on a mountain, a normal mountain bike or not really? No, I was riding a, a, a racing carbon bike that's now got a hole in the bottom of it with road tires. So, yeah. Towing okay. a wheelchair and all the camping kit, totally not what it was designed for. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, is cycling your, because obviously when, um, I know you've done so many different adventures, like kayaking, climbing, going across Greenland, lots of different things. Is cycling the main thing for you? Is that the thing you, you love? Is that where you get the most flow or do you like to vary it? 
I like very I like the variation, but to be honest, cycling, I suppose it's just the thing that I can do easily on my own. So it's the go-to, easy to get kind of activity. I don't need other people. I can manage it myself. I can easily do it any day, indoors, outdoors. Whereas if I go kayaking or skiing, it's it, it I can't go on my own and I can't manage the equipment myself. So it's so much more of a of, of a you know event to find yeah. somebody get all the kit on the roof and so on. So cycling's become the default easy to do thing. Yeah. So I guess, but those other things. What is mm-hmm. the buzz about them? Is it just the fact that I presume that you're going into different landscapes? Yeah, so really different landscapes, landscapes that I would never normally be able to get to with wheels. So, And then there's the landscape element, and then there's this interesting kind of marriage between giving up my independence to go there because I can't go there without good friends or teammates to help me get there. But that also brings some richness as well because you're sharing an adventure with other people and there are shared challenges to navigate. But it's a, it's a, it's a, curiosity, a curiosity to me sometimes how I still like to do these other things because of the landscapes. But I wonder if there's an element of it that I love because of the team that has to come with it. And even though I sometimes feel frustrated, well, and I don't really feel frustrated anymore, but I have to accept that I'm giving up quite a lot of independence to do those things and very reliant on on my friends or teammates but then that has its own thing which is quite special as well so would you you, i mean are you a good team player naturally or is it something you have to work work at that's a really good question i think i'm a good team player naturally but i as long as i get the bits of space that i need to to reset if that makes sense or if I'm with the right if I'm with the the right team and by the right team I mean a team where you've got that kind of kindness compassion where everyone's got their own can have their own rhythm as well as the rhythm together sometimes I've been in teams where that rhythm the kind of together apart rhythm doesn't really work somehow and then I find it harder to be in a team but I love being in a team when it just flows but obviously that's not always easy to encounter and sometimes teams can be quite challenging as well so yeah well actually um uh, that i was going to talk a little bit about because obviously i know you started out climbing and you know that's how you had your accident we can maybe touch on that but you got into competitive sports with with the cycling as well and obviously olympic games and things like that and that's i don't know many people who've done that sort of thing because i'm sort of from a climbing background and there's lots of overlap there that we have but what was your take on that coming from you know so many trips that you've done are really about adventure both on the bike and what was the drive I guess to do it and how did it play out and how did it how does that compare in that team thing what was the dynamic so being in as in the cycling team didn't have a didn't have a lot of a team dynamic for me because my races were always it was just me usually in my category and for many of the years that as part of the team, I was the only hand cyclist or one of not many. So there were times when we had more hand cyclists in the team and that did bring its own fun. Like there was a time when there were a lot of military guys um, recruited and there was a time when they decided to have a push on women hand cyclists. So there were some bits of time within that that were really nice where you got to train with other hand cyclists. But then the rest of the time it became quite solitary. And I think I'm not really... I'm competitive probably with myself 
but not so much with other people. It's like, does it really matter who's the fastest or the doesn't make you a better person? It's not going to make you happier. So I became, I think, over the years, I gradually became actually, it gave me a career in in high-performance sport, gave me everyday adventure because it meant I had the excuse and the focus to go outside in every day and be in really beautiful places all over the world, and but particularly just in Scotland and in Europe doing the everyday training. But then over time, it, it, it felt like it took away adventure because it was so strict and the, the, the annual calendar was so limited in terms of when the racing season would be that I didn't have a chance to then get out into mountains and share much nicer chill times with friends out you know doing other things in in the wilds so I felt like that side of me the adventurous side of me over time became compromised I think but and uh and and eventually after sort of 12 or 13 years of doing it I felt like I'd learned just about everything there was to learn and I felt like I'd become a bit stuck in a rut and I think I, I think my body and mind and soul were ready to to move on and yeah find another way to be in in life <laughs> yeah i mean, i mean you won silver medal in london 2012 gold medal in rio and then there was the one i don't know what year it was where you you crossed the line holding hands with with another cyclist didn't you so tell me about that what yeah, that was the that was the london 2012 paralympics and it it was the day after i'd won a medal in the time trial race and we very unusually myself and a teammate a female teammate on a handbike ended up racing in the same race which was very rare so we realized kind of probably unexpectedly somewhere we suddenly realized we were kind of competitive we were competitors in the same race and we were neck and neck and neck the whole way we just kept inching ahead of each other inching behind inching ahead and at some point on the last lap we just realized we were in for a bronze medal and I don't even know how it happened just this suggested it emerged that we should uh, try and share it and I think she suggested it and mentioned it's not like we were having an easy chat I mean we were like racing really, yeah, really yeah, hard yeah. making sure we weren't caught up by anyone and then we went oh that, I just was that would be amazing let's do it so um we crossed the finish line together holding hands and disrupted all norms and everyone was very upset about it and thought we might have been disqualified and uh, our times were identical on the digital clock so the judges looked at our a photo image and decided her wheel was a few a few millimeters ahead of mine and gave her the gave her the bronze medal. So wow, yeah, for me, that was me, that. yeah, quite yeah, lovely story. So, in terms of philosophy, um, you were you were speaking uh, and on your site you talk about that that curious, creative, and a person who likes to challenge the status quo. What what were you like? before your accident in terms of you know i didn't know you then but i presume you're i don't know how old you were you're climbing where you were living were you based in scotland then and what was your kind of if you like mindset and your ambitions and 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 is that are you very different now to then i guess we're all different in an age thing aren't we but yeah i i was a student in aberdeen so i'd only lived in scotland for about six months at that point in time um I think I was just still at that really discovery, um, naive stage of life where you're just excited about everything. I was excited about climbing. That was my main sport. I also did quite a lot of running just to stay fit and orienteering. So my life really was about mountains, um, but not competition. I just loved being big big days in the mountains, um, whether that be rock climbing, ice climbing, fell running whatever it would be any chance to be there with with other friends and special people was just what I kind of 
yeah, what I what I craved and lived for, really. I'm not really sure I was particularly, I mean, maybe I've always been quite driven. I'm not sure because my first climbing season in the Alps, um, I had no idea what I was doing, but we took photocopies of Crevasse Rescue with us and went up onto the Mer de Glace and studied how to rescue each other out of crevasses and then went and climbed Mont Blanc and the Matterhorn and other other things there, which I suppose now I didn't realise at the time was quite unusual for a first season in the Alps, perhaps maybe a little bit gung-ho looking back. So, yeah, I sometimes joke that if I hadn't broken my back, maybe I wouldn't be alive anymore because I just seem to not really think about consequences or fear. Maybe I wasn't very cautious, perhaps. <laughs> After your accident, did you immediately think, despite all that, I want to go and have adventures and you know lead the sort of life like I guess the sort of things you've you've gone on to do or was it a very long journey to get back to even you know and what people were saying to you like medical professionals family or just like I was just trying to get a sense of what that was like that that massive shock trauma I would imagine it was yeah I mean it was a shock and a trauma and I think your body's in total my body was in probably shock and trauma for a long time it probably still is I guess um and at first you don't I didn't want to know about I think you're in disbelief you probably know about the the cycle of grief but you go from sort of denial into depression and then maybe go through some sort of frustration or anger and then you come out the other side and adapt to your new situation so I suppose I went through that cycle but I think my cycle was interrupted somewhat by a very close friend who had a climbing accident three after three months after my accident and he wasn't fortunate enough to live and for me that was a very profound time not only the grief at losing him because we'd climbed together quite a lot and he visited me very every few days in the hospital um but made me really go I'm alive and he's not I have to make the most of this life so it really I think it just really made me shift somehow to appreciation instead of being focused on what I still had and what I still could do instead of what I had been focusing on, which is what I didn't have and what I couldn't do. And I think that's just a very, very simple but profound way that we can all shift our mindset to go from focusing on what we lack or what we've what we've lost to actually what we have and what what we can what we're still able to do. So I think that's the di- that made the difference. And then of course having wonderful friends who were out there while I, whilst I was in hospital exploring different possibilities for me. So I discovered that um, I could go on a ski course and learn to ski in the Alps with a, a charity called the Backup Trust, who still do fantastic stuff today. I discovered an organization called the Spinal Injuries Association and got their magazine. And in that, you know, you suddenly read articles about people doing all kinds of different things. So there were just these windows into realizing that this wasn't the end. There were still lots of things that I could do. And there was a physiotherapist in the hospital who offered, instead of me going to try archery on the lawn in front of the hospital, offered to take me sailing on on a Wednesday afternoon or something a lake near the hospital so suddenly I had this outlet to go and be outdoors again doing something active and feel the wind on my face and I think those that all those things together just kind of lifted me to a to the to the idea of looking to new horizons instead of the ones I had known and starting to explore what I might be able to do wow yeah amazing and did 
do you think being in Scotland was was part of that? Because obviously a lot of things you're talking about there, there was not just the charities, but obviously very special people like the physio, but the fact that you were you still in the Aberdeen area, so you were sort of close no, to nature, so I, if you like. No, in fact, I wasn't at all. I was in a spinal hospital in Pinderfields in Yorkshire. So I was flown from Scotland because the only spinal specialist spinal hospital in Scotland is Glasgow, and I didn't have any family or friends near Glasgow, so they decided it would be better to, if I went to one in Yorkshire where I'd only six months ago left and where my family were. So that meant I had family and friends all within sort of an hour, really. So all my rehab was done there, and I came back to Scotland sort of six, well, eight months later to restart my life in Aberdeen. But at that point, it really helped being in Scotland because I was surrounded by university clubs and by friends and by wonderful nature and all these opportunities to get out and try all sorts of things and I think I'm told looking back I didn't know this at the time but I'm told that I just kept turning up to things like the canoe club and um, triathlon events and all kinds of things and just basically like it's just kind of expecting that I'd be able to go and then causing all sorts of chaos behind the scenes where people were having to clear health and safety and find new things and figure things out uh, I didn't realize at the time that I was doing that but it effectively yeah I was sort of change, changing the systems at the time I think <laughs> yeah which goes on to that if you like challenging the status quo were you were you always that kind of person anyway as a teenager uh, a bit of a a bit of a rebel I I don't know I, I definitely always felt a bit I always felt a little bit left out or not left out is the wrong word totally the wrong word I felt like a bit of a misfit that's the word like I didn't really want to go I didn't really like alcohol I didn't really want to go out drinking I, I guess I tried to do all of that but it never felt right I always felt like a misfit so um somehow I kind of felt a bit peripheral to typical teenage life but at the same time when I got to sort of sixth form age I stayed on and went to sixth form uh I found other people that were like-minded I went on an expedition with Yorkshire Schools Exploring Society and started mountain biking and training and raising money and funds to go on this expedition to a very very remote part of western China and I found people that liked rock climbing and fell running and so that became yeah I guess when we're that age we're just finding ourselves aren't we and finding our, our people or our tribe and our identity so like anyone else I went through that that process I don't think I was particularly a, a rebel. I, I still don't think of myself as a rebel, but I definitely don't like rules. I think rules are usually there to be challenged. <laughs> Too many of them. Your mindset, your philosophy. Uh, I know you've just had this course with lots of people, so you must have some brilliant stories to share with those people, like the ones you've just shared with us about, you know, when your when your friend who didn't make it and that gave you that new perspective on you know you're alive and all that possibility and so you had a kind of um a comparison if you like are they the sort of things that you share with some of the the people that you've just spent a few days with sometimes um this is the first time i've run this particular experience for people the adventure impossibility so it, it was much more about I, it, I didn't want it to be about me telling stories and making it all about me it was very much focused on them and their journey but inevitably in 
exploring that stories become a shared and that included mine as well as different participants stories so but yeah when I'm asked to give talks and when I write I love to use story and experience to communicate things to people that might be helpful for them all right tell me a little bit more about the adventure in possibility so why you started it and what well I guess it's the first one so you know what what went what went well I mean one of the things I wanted to link into was that kind of one of the quotes which I really like on your website is you know the ability is a state of mind not body over the years I've trained in so many things from from well I did a I did a doctorate in geology but then realized that wasn't really my path anymore and went back and did a, a degree in in psychology and Spanish and a, a master's in development training and then all sorts of other things like hypnotherapy and different kinds of holistic healing and coaching qualifications and um, I just keep studying and studying and studying and reach the point where I'm like you know Karen it's time to stop doing more courses and actually start applying them and using them to to perhaps help people on their own journeys so that was my inspiration if you like or my my intention and then I think I mentioned at the start that this frustration I have that I think a conversation with people when you're outside or when you're walking with somebody, when you're when you're in a, in a very supportive, natural environment is so much more powerful than just sat across a table or, or locked up in a room. Somehow there's a different experience for yourself as well as that conversation with the other person. So I wanted to create an atmosphere where being outside a lot and with others and being able to have those different inspirations and you know you can have the pauses you can look out at a beautiful view together you don't have to talk all the time and the pauses aren't as uh they're, they're more acceptable somehow when you're in a, in a nice place together so yeah the adventure possibility was really about help looking for the people that came or have things on the horizon that they want to create be that on a physical level of some actual practical thing they want to do to an emotional level like feeling a different way having a different relationship with somebody that they care about, whatever it might be. There were a lot of different, there were a whole range of possibilities being navigated. And then through, yeah, certain activities together and stories and 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 little adventures, be that surfing on the waves of Moray Shire or walking in the woodlands, you know, we managed to, to unravel different aspects of that, be that from emotional blockages that might exist to mindset perspectives um really what I was trying to do was create an environment where people could be really authentic start to see different perspectives on 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 their challenges and to um to reduce the level of stress in their systems because often when we're stressed we can't do as much so introduce techniques to help downregulate the sympathetic nervous system of the body. I don't want to get too technical, but you know, basically just lower the level of stress in the body. Because sometimes even though we might not realize we're stressed in our mind, our body is still holding stress and that can be inhibiting as well in terms of um moving forward to new possibilities. And finding flow. So when we can get into flow by actually, you know, sometimes we try too hard, but if we play and let our body have fun, that's a really good way to enable the creativity to come through and enable our brains to you know there's a lot of research into how the neurochemistry of our brain shifts when we're playing and enjoying ourselves and so instead of working hard and pushing and trying all the time 
if we allow ourselves to have really good breaks and have fun and play and do activities that we enjoy, be that climbing or surfing or cycling or whatever else, then the answers and the solutions and the creativity to help us solve things happens much more easily. So it was kind of teachings, theory, research, along with application and practice of all of those things. Wow. So how long was it for? Uh, five days. Wow. It sounds like it was, well, it very intense. Uh, lots of connections. I haven't sent the feedback form out yet, so we'll see. But it was um, it was really lovely. There were lots of there was lots of laughing and lots of tears and lots of all sorts, lots of fun and lots of hugs and um, amazing. Yeah, we'll see what we'll see what comes out. <laughs> yeah, wow, very rich. I mean, there's lots of new things there for me. I mean, I, I was aware of the fact that you know, I mean, in terms of if you're trying to sort of uh, be creative, then being in the outdoors and walking, I think the science that backs that up. So you know, they've had groups of people trying to solve a problem and they sit them in a room they have people who sit in the room and they've got notebooks and a pen they're a little bit more creative but then the people that go for a walk with the notebooks and the pen they generate apparently it's like double or four Mm -hmm. times the amount of ideas Um, but I'd never thought about that um, that having the the pauses that you would get naturally in the outdoors and then that being acceptable as opposed to like yeah if you're in a room it'd be a bit odd if you're all maybe having those pauses that that's quite interesting yeah I mean I think back to when I was a student and or even when I was young a kid studying for exams at school and I could never ever sit in a room and study so I used to go on get my bike put all my study stuff in a in a bag and go cycle onto the moor lie in the grass and study for 20 minutes get on the bike again ride for another half an hour sit in another place study some more so i've realized that i've always done it that way it's just what's helped me and and now the science behind that is coming out and all of the you know the psychology studies into these things and the neurochemistry uh, basically just kind of enhances everything that maybe a lot maybe some of us have been doing but it's it's good to remind be reminded how important these things are and that if we're just trying and pushing, I think a lot of people get into that mode of then procrastinating and beating themselves up and trying harder and then beating themselves up again because they've not achieved what they wanted to. But actually, there's all these formulas that enable so much to happen and flow for us without it needing to be difficult or stressful and much more fun. Do you, yeah, brilliant. I, I, do you apply some of these things? So I know you, you've written three books. Is that right? um uh yeah did you you know when you were writing did you kind of do the same as what you did when you were a student and sort of took breaks and got out plenty how how did you approach writing Mm, that's a good question I think my writing experiences have been so different and maybe you can relate to this being a being a writer yourself my first book was purely cathartic I never planned on it being a book I just wrote to heal myself and at some point, somebody asked if they could read some of it. And then they were like, this needs to be in a book. So um, I haven't read it ever since it's been a book. I, I'm, I, I should do. And I think there's some probably some good stuff in there. But um, yeah, I didn't really consider myself a writer at all. And it wasn't meant to be like that. The second book I wrote, Boundless, was the result of a writing scholarship at the Banff Mountain, yeah. Mountain Writing Yeah, I'm aware Um, of it. I've never been. It's supposed to be really good. So it was really good. It was the first time I'd had any teaching in, you know, actually how to write, really. 
And I don't know whether it's any good or not, but I guess I enjoyed that one as a means of just playing with the art of writing and and wanting to deliver a book at the end of it because I had this scholarship to go on the programme, which was a huge privilege. Um, the third one I wrote whilst I was stuck at, stuck on the sofa for a few months with a pressure sore on my bum. So it was a, a means of entertainment and it's terribly edited. There's loads of errors in it. I self-published it. <laughs> but I think yeah. it's got some really good short stories and helpful tips in it, which are based on positive psychology. And uh, yeah, the, the one I'm working on now, I'm writing much more as you described, just not putting pressure on myself trying to write regularly but if life gets in the way and other things happen for a while that's okay and um I weird maybe not typically but I, a lot of people say they prefer writing with a pen and paper but I do prefer writing with a keyboard so I it's difficult for me to do it outside that way sure but I do tend to do it in lots of different environments be that a sofa at home to a cafe to a train to wherever so yeah yeah Amazing. I was thinking back to brain jumping sideways to that bit when you were that rebel, you know, after your accident and you were turning up at the canoeing club and various things like that. And they just weren't the infrastructure, the health and safety, whatever. They were kind of a bit thrown by that. Comparing, like, say, today to then, I mean, from your point of view, is is it a more inclusive world for people like you are, are, are there more opportunities or you know is there some progress or is there lots to do where oh, where are we at there's loads of progress i mean i was paralyzed 30 years ago now so it's a different world hand cycling didn't really exist or organizations to offer all these opportunities there were one or two but that was it now there are so many organizations and so many opportunities it's like the yeah, I think London twenty twelve maybe changed that a lot as well. The Paralympic profile, um, the kind of the view of disability not as being a thing to hide, but as kind of being a bit cool. All of that is I think really enabled as lot along with legislation obviously on access and inclusion and diversity and all of this. So it's a different world entirely, completely different. Yeah. All right, and you are you involved in as well as going on your adventures and stuff? Are you in? Are you you involved in that world of you know uh, do people ask your opinions if you like in terms of how to make it they even d- better uh they do and i tend to do it in pockets here and there and i'm uh, an ambassador for a lot of different organizations doing really positive stuff in out in the community really good stuff but um i made a deliberate choice many years ago not to that i didn't want to channel my energy into campaigning or complaining not because it's not a good way of changing things. Sometimes, you know, I'm sure it is, but I guess my focus is always more on just doing, getting on with things. And unless something's extremely out of out out and bad, then I, I wouldn't ever complain. I would just I just try and keep going forward and I guess sort of, you know, lead by example in a way i don't know i don't i don't really i did just didn't want to spend my energy campaigning which was a choice and i'm very but you know it's good that some that people do because that also is another way of changing the world but just not my way yeah and linking back to you know you've obviously done a lot of writing you do a fair bit of speaking as well I, i would imagine you like yeah you've got some great inspirational stories there what are the main things you leave people with i guess it depends on the audience doesn't it but in a way i was sort of ask i was i guess my question is 
you know, there are probably people listening to this to this podcast who are thinking, "Wow, amazing! How has how has Karen done that?" What when you meet people who are struggling to, I don't know, set a challenge or get stuck in life or whatever? What are the things that you you know your top three I know it's not that simple Mm -hmm. what are the main things Mm -hmm. that you what are the main things that if you like are barriers for people to sort of get to where they want to go well I probably can't answer that but I could answer I could share I guess what my process is and of course I'm I'm human I'm not I'm not Every, you know, I do get my my days as well where you're just overwhelmed or you feel sorry for yourself or you get a bit stuck. But ultimately, I I always just think it comes down to a, a choice. And our choice is to, if, if we focus on all, all the things that are wrong, on how we're hard done to, if we step into a sort of victim mentality, the likelihood is that we're not going to have a very good time because we're fighting against what is. So I kind of go with that, trying to accept what is, whether that's my emotions on any particular day or something that seems on the surface of it not very good, like becoming paralyzed, for example. And it's like, okay, I have a choice about how I handle this. You, you know, the old adage that we can't change what happens to us, we can only change the way we respond to it. But it's um, it's so true. And I think somewhere along the way, I realized that not only do we have a choice as to how we respond, but we have more we have more ability and control over that than we perhaps think we do. Our thoughts on us, like just by notice, just by being able to notice our thoughts gives us the choice to change them. And when we change them, it can make us feel very different. It's, uh, you know, our thoughts impact our 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 behavior and our actions and our actions then impact our experiences and our emotions and then that impacts again how we think and that impacts what we go on and do so it's like this circle that we can get moving in a really great it's like a spiral that can go go in a really good upwards direction instead of needing to go in a downwards direction if we just keep rechecking what those thoughts are and what really helps me when something difficult happens or the unexpected happens is to be flexible and then to look for the learning to be like okay this isn't ideal this isn't what I wanted this seems on the surface like a really bad situation but I wonder what might come of this I wonder what good could come of this I wonder what I could learn from this and I wonder how that might be helpful in the future and even if we can't see it immediately quite often at some point we can look back and either laugh or look back and see something wonderful that came from this situation which at the time was quite difficult I think uh that's the idea of post-traumatic growth. You know, when we have a trauma, we can grow through it. And I think there's many levels to that, whether it's something that we might not normally class as a trauma, just something small going wrong right through to the, the, the level of major trauma. But there's always a way to reframe it and to see it differently and therefore almost enjoy the experience, even though it might seem a little, a little bit unlikely that we could do. Wow, brilliant. That was a good answer. It's better than my question. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so two things that stand out there. So self-awareness and mm-hmm. kind of like learn a mindset, which is not easy, yeah. not easy to apply uh, either of those things. Um, the other thing I was interested in, you talked about um, much earlier when we were talking about the, the sort of things you were, you've been doing on the course you've just run, which is, you know, being authentic, new perspective. Reducing stress, which again is for most people 
it's not so easy to get out of that cycle of stress when it comes on. Mm-hmm. How how do you, you you seem like someone who's done a lot of thinking and you have good self awareness and probably most of the time somebody who can maybe spot when you are becoming stressed mm-hmm. and then what to do about that. Yeah. So I guess the more aware we become of what's normal for us, so um, the the more able we are to spot stress when it's starting to happen. So I know that my jaw gets tight. I know that I'll be more impatient. I know that I'll feel less happy. There's like lots of different signs that I'll look out for or that I know of now that indicate that, yeah, I'm getting stressed here and there's different kinds of stress. There's like the acute stress, which is usually fine because it might last a short amount of time and we're dealing with a crisis or whatever it might be. Whereas the chronic stress is really the, I suppose, the thing I'm talking about here, which is much more damaging for all of us and long-term physical and emotional health. So, um, yeah, I I don't think it's all. I don't think chronic stress is always as easy to spot because it creeps upon us much more gradually. And until, you know, you wake up one day and you find yourself thinking, wow, how did, it, how did I get here? I'm, I don't feel like I'm the person I used to be. I don't feel as happy as I used to be, et cetera. So the things that have really helped me um, are just intru- finding different things that can help help me de-stress. So, again, perspective is one of them, just getting that, putting things into perspective. Like, does it really matter? How much does this really matter? What are the what are the what are the get out clauses here? You probably often we put stress on ourselves when we don't need to. Um, and then the other is like actual just physical practices. Be that I, I do. I, I think I, I always I, I kind of say I meditate, but you know what? I I don't meditate in a way that people think of meditation, and I can't. I don't enjoy mindfulness in the way that mindfulness is taught in in our in our modern world. I have found other practices that involve moving my body still so be that getting my bike on a training roller and just putting some music on and spinning for half an hour and it just calms my nervous system it might be that I lie on a sofa and put on some music and do some sofa dancing it might be that I do some practice breathing you know just do some breathing exercises I mean there's so many things out there it's like there's a million roads to Rome but I think sometimes that can be confusing because there's so much out there people don't really know what to do I don't, I don't think it really matters what you do as long as it's making you feel calmer and uh, whatever you can do that just gives you that bit of space in a day. It doesn't even need to be very much. Sometimes just taking a pause between things, giving yourself 10 minutes just to sit still and breathe and even just write a, write a, you know, write a, a paragraph about what how you're feeling or listen to a song that you love. It can just be really simple things that can really help us um, just calm down. So yeah i don't i don't think i can answer that question quickly really <laughs> you didn't need to that was great that's very rich thank you one final thing what i don't know how i mean you you know you're lucky enough to go on lots of adventures or you make it happen and uh but do you find uh like a lot of us now we are spending time in front of screens you know the whole virtual thing how much of that do you get involved with and do you how important is it mm-hmm. for you to get away from screens? I'm just thinking there might be people listening here who, mm. you know, there's so many people virtual working, which, you know, has its pros and cons, but kind of lose that human uh, face-to-face thing. Plus a lot of people are just working in environments where they're on, you know, back-to-back sort of work calls, aren't they, on a screen? Yep. Um, so I, 
I could. I'm not. I have a lot more flexibility than probably a lot of people do in in terms of working on a screen. I tend to. Um, I tend to do quite a lot by giving myself permission not to be sat at a desk or in a chair in a in a in a in a sterile environment doing it. So a bit like I described studying when I was a kid. I think I. So sometimes I'll join a Zoom from the gym if I don't need to have my camera on, and I'll be. I'll, I'll stop doing my set when it's when I want to speak or and I'll I'll be quiet and listen in when I'm when I don't need to speak and but I'll be doing a workout at the same time or I'll go out on I'll go you know maybe some quite often I'll be like okay I've got a two-hour window to go for a bike ride but I'm supposed to have a call in one hour so if I wait around and do the call I'm not going to get any time to get out today so I'll go okay I'll go out and one hour into my ride I'll stop and I'll make the call or I'll I'll call in from the woodlands somewhere and that's okay. So there's been various Zoom calls I've been on where I'm just in random locations. Everyone's going, oh my goodness, where are you? So some of it, I think, is giving yourself permission to play with different environments so that you're not tied to the desk all day. And then some of it, I think, is just about managing your diary and just knowing that time with yourself and looking after yourself is just as important as time giving and delivering and connecting with everyone else because it's, uh, yeah, well, that old adage, if you don't put your own oxygen mask on first, you can't really help anyone else. So far better that you make breaks and find time to do things that keep you nourished and give you that vitality and energy that you need to get through every day for many days and many weeks rather than to burn out and have to sign off for a few months to recover from yeah, getting overstressed. Brilliant. Karen, thanks for uh, being such a star and sharing so many pearls of wisdom we'll um we'll put some links um and so people can sort of find your website and books thanks a lot i know thanks a lot take care thanks for your time brilliant all right cheers bye thank you for listening to this episode i hoped you enjoyed it i've been your host andy cave and you've been listening to the rab mountain people podcast to keep up to date and to hear more interviews like this don't forget to subscribe I look forward to bringing you more stories and interviews very soon. Stay tuned.